Hello, and welcome to Collective Bargain, the labor-focused show brought to you by the Heartland Pod. My name is Glenn Coggy Jr. I'm a union member, political activist, and run my own labor-centered blog, Laborfront. Learn more about me at laborfront.com and more about the Heartland Pod and all the shows from MidMap Media over at theheartlandcollective.com, where you can get shows like the Heartland Pod, Dirt Road Democrat, and more. Plus, you can sign up as a member to support this show, read in-depth articles, and join like-minded folks looking to change the conversation in Heartland politics. Thanks for taking the time to join me. Now, let's get to the show. Hey, it's Glenn from Laborfront. On this week's edition of Collective Bargain on the Heartland Collective, we'll be talking to Leslie Jones. Leslie is a candidate for Missouri House District 130, which is down around Springfield, Missouri. I'd like you all to meet Leslie. Leslie, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me today. So my name is Leslie Jones, as has been said, and I am a music therapist and educator here in Springfield, Missouri, and I'm running for 130 because I feel like we aren't putting enough effort into having multiple um, options on our ballots. So for my district in general, you know, it was unopposed the last election. And I have always been doing music therapy and working with you know children, adults, you know, all the way through the lifespan. And I've always been with people. And I just got to this point in life where I'm a mother, I'm working, but I'm also taking care of my children and my family. And I started paying more and more attention to politics and the things that were going on. And the more that I paid attention to it, the more I couldn't look away from it. And I just kept getting more and more involved in, you know, reading and educating myself on what's happening. And then that eventually led me down to um, becoming a lead for the Moms Demand Action Group here in Springfield. And that got me really involved in the activism for um, reshaping the gun laws in Missouri and bringing more safety to our communities and children and all of that. And so Basically, that's kind of the little journey that I've taken from, you know, doing music therapy and teaching. I teach at the university here in Springfield and I've done that off and on for 10 years. And so I've kind of gone from that world into this new world. And I just feel like the universe is pushing me this way. And I'm I'm excited to see where it takes me. But I think that, you know, my background is will make me a good, strong, you know, quality candidate for everything even though I'm a I'm a different background that people aren't used to hearing. <laughs> well, I think the diversity in backgrounds is what makes this country great. Exactly. And bringing a different perspective is never a bad thing if people are open enough to listen to it. Um, I've been to your website. It's a great website. And we'll touch base on it again a little bit later because I want I will want you to introduce your Act Blue where people can get involved and help and stuff like that. But um, when we talk about education, we see a major push, especially in the state of Missouri, nationwide, but especially in the state of Missouri, for pub, uh, privatizing public education uh, in the form of school vouchers. How do you feel about this push to privatize Missouri's education? 
I don't like it. <laughs> um, and I'm kind of an anomaly because my children are actually in private school for a variety of reasons, but I still fully support the public school system. And, you know, my kids are eventually going to get there and be in that system. But when I hear about, you know, taking tax money and putting it towards these religious institutions, me as, you know, a person that goes to church, my children are in my church school, that bothers me because the churches aren't paying into that. And it's our public money. It shouldn't be going to those schools, you know, and I get really frustrated with how they present it as school choice because, you know, as somebody whose children go to private school, I know that that's not the case. My school that my kids go to, they have the right to deny entry to people. You know, they have the right to put their tuition at whatever it is. And if you can't pay it, sorry. You know, luckily my the school my kids are at don't do that. And they've got a, you know, a tiered program. But that's what I think that it should just be. You know, private schools, they can you know, do their own fundraising. They can have their own, you know, taxation or not taxation, sorry. Um, they can have their own voucher systems, you know, that the people from the church or whoever help put their money into it. It should not be taxpayers' money going into these types of schools. And so, and, you know, back to the idea of the school choice, I work with children with disabilities and have my entire career. And I know that those children are going to get the short end of the stick first, because they're not going to be able to get into these schools. And even if the schools would let them, those private schools aren't going to have the resources that they need to provide for those children. So these children are going to get stuck in these defunded public schools with no options. So where's the choice for them? And, you know, I follow Jess Piper like a whole lot of people do. And, you know, she's really enlightened me on the rural community issues where, you know, that money is going to go from them. And a third of our schools are already down to four-day weeks as it is, and we haven't even implemented, a, you know, a full-blown school choice program voucher system. And so I think that there's a lot of issues with it. And, you know, they're taking that money and, you know, study, I guess, if it's studies or just reports that are coming out, but they're showing that the money is going to the wealthy families that are already paying. They were already in the school. And then it's showing that the schools are raising the tuitions to counteract the money that people are getting from their vouchers. So it's just a money-making scheme that's going to hurt our public education. And our children deserve education. And I'm just, I'm a big proponent of, um, sorry, I need a drink of water. My voice is getting oh, really dry. But I'm a big um, supporter of the idea of the things that should not be privatized ever. And I think it's healthcare, education, and prisons. I do not think that those should ever have any type of profit coming in because it turns it into greed. And then we don't have regulation. We don't have quality. And so we need to fund education in Missouri to start fixing our education because I'm sure, as you know, we don't fund it. We have run it into the ground. And then now they're blaming that you know, on the public system where that it's not the education system, it's the lawmakers who are starving it of money and, you know, taking us down to four day weeks and not paying teachers. Nobody's going to want a job that doesn't pay them a livable wage. And that's a whole other story with Missouri. But, you know, I think we have to fund our private or our public schools. We cannot let it become a private system or we'll all just go to hell, frankly, is what I believe. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. My oldest granddaughter 
um, just graduated last May from University of Missouri, St. Louis, and is a teacher in Cuba, Missouri, in the Cuba school districts. And she is already feeling the pinch of teacher salary being so low. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little bit frustrating. But one thing that I don't understand and could never wrap my mind around without a strong foundation of education for the future of our country, it is going to create a situation where why would anybody, and I'll use Cuba as an example, why would anybody want to relocate to Cuba with poor school districts where our, our higher people that don't know how to read tape measures? I've spent most of my life either in construction or manufacturing and the ability to read tape measures, blueprints, drawings, and understand what I'm reading is instrumental in me being able to make a living to take care of my family. How is it that anyone, any business, would want to relocate and build a factory there that required people to actually be able to have a logical thought or critical thinking skills to solve issues or problems that come up on their job sites? And it seems very short-sighted of our government to underfund our schools to underfund our teachers' salaries, I think, and I follow Jess too. She's great. One of my favorite people in the whole world. And if if you don't follow her, you should be because she is really one of the best. And uh, she talks about it and has very clear explanations on what it does to our education system, what it's doing to the future generations of this country. We need them to be educated. We need them to be able to solve the crisis is that these world is going to face. And you're not getting that if you're underfunding these schools. So I'm a big proponent of public education. I'm a product of public education. I did touch, uh, go to a few years in Catholic schools and actually went to seminary for a mm-hmm. semester to be a Catholic priest. It didn't work out, obviously. And I think they were as happy to see me go <laughs> as I was to get out of there. Uh, but that, that was a generation ago. Um, but today's school districts are struggling four days a week. What additional pressure is that putting on families having to find child care for the day that their ch- children are not in school? What impact does it have on their ability to go to work and things like that? Exactly. And I don't think anybody's really thinking of any of that. But I, And either that or they're not talking enough about it. And, you right. know, I'm in Springfield, so... You know, a lot of the schools around my intermediate area, we're still five days because we're a larger, you know, part in Missouri. But I have known some people that do it and I've I haven't talked to them in a while, but I'm interested to know, you know, what they feel. And I'm that's one of the things I'm interested to go out and start talking to people and get their opinions and talk to some people that are on four day a week because I just don't see a lot of people being in favor of that. I know that if all of a sudden my kids were only in four days a week, that would severely up up in my business in a way where I would have to figure out what I'm going to do on Fridays so that, you know, my kids are taken care of. Right. And I don't make a lot of money. I don't want to have to start finding more child care for them. It is expensive. And right. you can't find child care in Missouri because we've got these child care deserts just all over. And those are around the Springfield area. So it's, you know, we have to we have to look at things in a way that's going to help Missouri as a whole. You know, if we need educated children, we need parents able to work. If we don't have these things, what's, you know, what's that going to do to us in 20 years when the Missouri, you know, people have left 
corporations have come in to take control because they're trying to bring our corporate rate tax down to zero. And, you know, we're going to have all these uneducated people that just, you know, blindly work and don't have, you know, that freedom, that autonomy, the education to do what's best for them. And I think that's the overall goal, though, for these people at the end of the day, which is really sad and kind of scary. Right. You know, you talked a little bit about educational deserts, and I think that's a pretty good term. But in Missouri, we we have the same situation when it comes to access to health care, especially throughout rural Missouri. There are places where you have to drive over an hour. People, citizens of Missouri, have to drive over an hour to, to get medical medical care. And that's if they have a vehicle that'll get them there or if they can afford the gas to get to and from. It is really hurting the state of Missouri. And as Jess Piper has pointed out numerous times, we have been under Republican supermajority for the better part of 20 years. And this is where we're at today. Their mm-hmm. policies aren't working. And I'm excited when I talk to young candidates that are interested in getting in to change that and bring about real solutions for some of the crises that we face here in the state of Missouri. And I'm glad that you're running for office. So I'd like you to address that healthcare situation a little bit and give us your perspectives and maybe some ideas or solutions on how we can resolve this issue. And I mean, the healthcare access, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm a a music therapist. (laughs) That's my job, an educator. Um, But I do feel that we have to make it, A, more affordable. That's number one issue. If people can't afford it, they're not going to seek it out until it's too late. It's just going to cause more problems. You know, we've got to bring it to where we're attracting people, you know, and jobs to the healthcare you know, system. But we also have to have hospitals to provide the care because we've got all these rural hospitals closing. And I mean, I don't see why we can't fund things with our billions of surplus to, you know, keep help keep these hospitals going, to help bring in interest to people that want to go there and work there and whatnot. You know, I mean, I don't know all of the, you know, the workings of how to get those things done. But when I hear that we're sitting, you know, last I heard it was six billion, it may be less now. But I mean, that's a ton of money. That is a ton of money. And if we can put just a fraction of that into helping the rural communities have health care and it would provide more jobs, you know, it would bring in more to these communities. Health care is not a business that's, you know, going down. (laughs) It's always needed. If you build it, people are going to go work there. But we have to help keep them going. We can't just rely on rural hospitals to just do it by themselves because they are smaller and they're not in the urban areas with as much, you know, traffic, but that doesn't mean that they're not as important. Right. No, as you said, you should not be, they should not be allowed to make healthcare for profit and the same for education. I couldn't agree with you more. Because that's what happens. They go to where the people are because there's more profit where the people are. But That's not Missouri. Missouri is a rural state. I mean, one of my favorite things about this state is being able to just drive and not have to go far until you are in the sticks. And I prefer it there, to be honest. And when I retire, I hope that I can go live in the sticks of Missouri and have, you know, healthcare nearby, because that's something that will definitely deter me from doing it if there isn't a place. 
especially, you know, as people get older, you know, working on farms, you can't risk having a, a, you know, a tractor injury and then having to go two hours away to get any help. It may be too late. And so, you know, like I said, Missouri is rural. We cannot ignore the rural communities. We have to provide for them just as much as the urban areas. And I just, from what I see, it doesn't seem like that's the case right now. And so it's disheartening and I would like to see it change for sure. I couldn't agree with you more 100%. And I have lived 90% of my life in rural Missouri. And uh, I've been lucky enough to live and always have access to healthcare, not always the best healthcare, but at least some form of healthcare. Uh, so I, I appreciate your position on that. And I appreciate the fact that there's got to be solutions out there to try to bring healthcare back out to rural Missouri. Because as you said, hospitals are closing, medical clinics are closing. That means that at one point in time, they were there. Mm-hmm. But they close because they're chasing profits, and that's a, a sign of capitalism. Chase that money. Wherever the money's at, that's where they're going to go. And who really cares about the people in rural Missouri because they're not making money off of them? Yep. So, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I have mostly a labor-focused show. Um, I have been involved in as a union activist for almost my whole life. And... Working families are near and dear to me. Finding ways to make sure that they are uh, being afforded an ability to earn a decent living on their jobs. I think it's critical. It's critical for them, their families, but also their communities. And one of the things that we keep seeing happen here in the state of Missouri, and it literally frustrates the the dog do out of me, we have seen right to work brought up every year. The state of Missouri is the only state in the country to defeat it at the polls, and we've done it twice. We did it in 2018, and we did it in 1978, 40 years apart. But that has not stopped the supermajority of the Republican Party from coming out and proposing right-to-work legislation again, completely ignoring the will of the people. What is your position when it comes to fair and equitable wages working families? I am 100% against right to work. You know, I've, I've not, I don't come from a union family or anything, but, um, you know, I've, I've read on it and I know that right to work states have more work-related fatalities. I know that they're getting paid less. I know that they have worse health care. You know, it's, it's corporate greed. It's people taking advantage. And I mean, it's plain, it's plain in sight too. Like I, I don't understand how they can argue that it's a good thing because, you know, when I was a young kid, I learned about strikes and all of that first through watching Newsies, if you've seen Newsies. And that was, I remember being a young child and watching it and just being like, yeah, that's not fair. Like they should have the right to say how much, you know, to have a right and what they're going to sell the papers for and this and that. And even as a child, I could see like the guy on top, Pulitzer, that's wrong. You're doing this wrong. You're a greedy, you know, bad person. And so just to see it still happening, you know, and it, and like you said, they just keep putting it out and keep putting it out, even though we say no. And it's just, it just, puts it more clear that they are doing the will of -of out-of-state lobbyists because we don't want it. And so when our elected Republican officials are still doing this, that means that they're listening to out-of-state 
people telling them what to do. It's just like with the school choice stuff. They're just listening to these out-of-state lobbyists, getting some money, writing bills for them. And that is not okay because it's not what we want. Like you said, we keep voting against it. You know, we put it on the ballot after they snuck it in. So it's like, we don't want it. Please stop. But they just keep going. And I think that that's the big red flag is because they're not listening. They're doing out-of-state bidding. They're not doing what Missourians want. And I think more Missourians need to be aware of it because I don't think most people pay attention to those little things, you know? So they're just thinking like, oh, they're just putting it out there because some Missourians, are, you know, there's a push for it. But that's not really the case. So well, after uh, the 2018 election cycle where the, the citizens of Missouri voted against Proposition A, which was right to work, we voted for Clean Missouri, which would have cleaned up politics and the gerrymandering, lobbyist gifts, um, all good legislation. I met with the state representative from a conservative area. And I went and I said, well, I said, you know, congratulations on winning. It was obviously the will of the people that you represent them for another term in Jeff City. And he said, yeah, he said, I appreciate it. Thank you. And I said, but it was also obvious that it's the will of the people that we su support progressive agendas uh, like clean Missouri and eliminating right to work. And I said, so since you're honoring the will of the people to represent them, I'm sure we can count on you to continue representing the Missouri voters by opposing right to work and supporting uh, progressive issues like clean Missouri. And his response to me, and I'm not kidding, his response was, well, you know, when the people voted for me to continue representing them, they did so knowing that I am pro-right to work and that I am for, I was against clean Missouri. So I don't think they really knew what they were doing. That's how little they think of the voters in Missouri. They think that they know better when it comes to these issues, even though more than 60% of our state turned out and voted against Proposition A. 60% of our state came out and voted for clean Missouri. So 60% of our people don't know anything, just that they want their good old boys back in there so they can keep pushing, uh, worshiping their corporate masters. Mm -hmm. I'll put it that way. And gaslighting us to keep telling us what we want when it's obvious that it's not what we want. And that's that's the most frustrating part, I think, is just the continuation of, we know what's best, don't worry. But yeah. I think that, History has shown that usually that's not the case. <laughs> right. So the will of the people, you know, it's it's stronger. We just have to show up and pay attention and listen. Right. And it seems like Missouri does when the things get put out there. Like you said, the progressive issues, it seems like people pay attention then, but then they just go and elect the same people. But, you know, and that also goes back to, you know, state the seats being uncontested. When 40% of people don't even have an option, you're just stuck with it. Or it's where I was last year. I just wrote in my husband because I didn't want to vote for my one Republican option, you know? Right. It's, it's, and that's frustrating. And that's not going to help democracy at all. I think you hit the nail on the head. And I think that's one of the things, and go back again to Jess Piper, and um, her ears are probably ringing right now going, who's talking about me? <laughs> but that's one of the things that she has been saying for a long time, too many of these Republicans go unopposed and they are able to help their people who are in contested races, both financially and with their resources of uh, 
volunteers and stuff like that because they don't have a race at home. Yeah. So getting in the race the way you did is excellent. And it's going to be an uphill battle. You already know that. We talked about that before. And some of the issues that you're campaigning on are could be considered controversial. Um, you're pro-choice. You are pro-common sense gun laws. And um, I'm same as me. I, I, we are right in line politically. And I appreciate the fact that you're going to speak out. And it's what it takes is people who are not afraid to go out and knock doors. And when somebody asks them the difficult questions, not be afraid to answer them. So mm -hmm. my hat's off to you. But um, moms demand action. You said earlier when we when you, in your introduction uh, that that is one of the things that has inspired you to get involved in the political race. We do need common sense gun laws. We do need some way to stop this carnage being brought upon our people by guns. Granted, the Second Amendment grants people the right to carry a, a weapons, but that doesn't mean everybody's responsible enough. And we have to weed out those people who are not responsible enough and try to find ways to prevent them from having access to these weapons of mass destruction. And again, I'm right in line with you, but why don't you uh, dip your toe in that water a little bit and tell us a little bit about what your thoughts are regarding Second Amendment, Moms Demand Action, and some of the ideas that you have that can help. So this is the main reason that I got involved in running. Um, very, very passionate about this. So Missouri is the eighth highest rate of gun violence of all the states. And the laws in our state are just abysmal. <laughs> we have very little that actually do much to prevent. And, you know, we've got Firearms being the number one cause of death for our children now. And, you know, Missouri's doing absolutely nothing about it. Last year, the governor vetoed um, a bill that included Blair's Law, which would have banned celebratory fire because of, I can't remember how many years ago, but this girl Blair was killed by celebratory gunfire. She's 11, I believe. And so, you know, when you're shooting guns in the air, the bullets have to come down right? It's common sense. Don't do it. It's dangerous. But so that was vetoed for whatever reason. I don't even remember. It's all just, you know, malarkey anyway, right? <laughs> but so we had that. They also failed to pass um, an amendment that would put an age restriction on open carry. Right now, there's no restriction at all. Five-year-olds can walk down the street with an AR-15, and that's their second amendment, right? Once again, I don't think majority of people are thinking that's a good idea. You know, it's common sense. We should have an age limit put in place. But we have this unfettered access, you know, weapon worshipery going on here in Missouri. And my opponent in particular, he co-sponsored the Second Amendment Preservation Act. And it's got that fancy title to make you think like, oh, this is securing my Second Amendment rights. But the thing is, the Second Amendment right to carry a gun is not up for debate. Nobody's trying to take that right from anybody. Like, show me a bill somewhere that says that we're trying to take away your right to have a gun. Unless, you know, you're convicted of domestic abuse or, you know, felonies, these things where you lose responsive or you lose rights if you're irresponsible, right? Well, so Missouri likes to talk about how we're responsible gun owners and we can't take away guns from responsible gun owners. Well, that's great. 
I don't want to do that. You know, we need to look at these five foundational gun prevention or gun violence prevention laws that are showing to have positive impacts in other states. If we have universal background checks on every sale, currently in Missouri, you can go to gun shows, not required. You can go private sale, not required. But really, there are more licensed gun dealers in the U.S. than McDonald's, Subway's, Wendy's, Burger King's combined. There's so many of them. And every American lives within 10 miles of a licensed gun dealer where anybody could just easily go less than 10 miles, get there, check it, boom, we're good. That would cause so or that would prevent so many tragedies. I just know it would. And it wouldn't be difficult. It's not infringing on your right to have a gun, right? You can still have it if you're a responsible gun owner, which is what the Republicans tout. So I don't see where the problem is in that. So that's the main one. But we could also, you know, repeal the stand your ground laws. Those laws cause problems. People get scared. We've got culture wars brewing and, you know, politicians in particular you know, spouting things to make people fearful of each other in different groups, especially marginalized groups. And if you've got laws where you can just say, well, I feared for my life, so it's okay that I shot him. Like, that's that's risky, I think. That's just asking for more trouble. And, you know, secure storage is another one. 75% of school shootings are carried out with a gun that a child acquired from home or somebody they know. And 75%, if those guns would have been secured where they could not get to them, think of all the tragedy that could have been prevented, you know, and I'm not saying that we have to go full on into, you know, making it a law, because I know a lot of people probably aren't going to like that because they don't want to be responsible. But I mean, if you leave your gun in your car and somebody breaks in your car and steals your gun and it's loaded and they go commit a crime, I personally think that you're partly to blame for that. It should have been secured. It should have been where they could not get it. But I think that we have opportunity in the government to help people do that instead of just making it a law. I know Stephanie Hine put forward a bill that would, um, I think it was a tax uh, rebate, I believe, so that you could get money back for buying you know, storage safes, things like that, gun locks, things to keep your gun secure. And that was one of my ideas that I was going to bring forward if I got into Jeff City. So I was really excited to see her do that. Because I think if we, if if the government says, hey, I will help provide the safe for you. I will help make sure that you have a way to keep this gun secure so your children can't get it. How could we argue with that? And so I think that that right there would make it easy. It wouldn't cost anybody anything. And that, just those three acts right there, I think, would do a world of difference. Just, you know, I could talk I about it all day long. I literally could keep talking about this for hours and hours, but I'll wrap it up there. <laughs> no, it's good. It's a good conversation. And believe it or not, 23 years ago, I took a public speaking class to help me improve on my public speaking, obviously. And one of the things I was had to do is to make a speech on some public policy And this is right when Bill Clinton was leaving office, George W. Bush came in and there was a a budget surplus of $270 or whatever the heck it was. And there was some discussion on what to do with the surplus. And I, in my speech, I said that I would like to see, you're going to think I'm fibbing, I'm not. I said that I would like to see uh, the government offer some kind of tax credit or rebate 
on gun safes. Right before I made that speech, my sister and her uh, then-husband's house had been broken into, and the only thing that burglars took were all the guns. And he had a bunch of them raised out in rural Missouri, about every kind of gun you could imagine, wiped them out, took them all. Had they been in a gun safe, those guns would not have landed back on the streets or in pawn shops. They didn't take them to start using them themselves. They took them either for some illicit activity. And I'll leave it at that. So that's kind of what gave me the idea that we need to come up with a way to offer incentives to uh, make sure that these guns are stored in secure places. Which leads me to the next thing. Insurance companies have that power. If guns are, if they find homeowners with guns, I had a swimming pool in my backyard and it's an above ground pool, nothing fancy. But before I ever had a fence put around it, I got a letter from the insurance company that set up on a routine, routine inspection. They found this swimming pool did not have a fence around it and they were, uh, they were going to cancel my insurance if I did not put a fence around it with proper locks and all that. The insurance industry has the ability to push for secure gun laws. or uh, Yeah, that's right, secure gun laws. Mm -hmm. They have that ability, and they have the power and the, the flex for crying out loud. They have the ability to make you wear a seatbelt in your car, you know, now, the first argument you get from the uh, pro-gun folks or, well, the, the, driving a car is not a constitutional uh, guarantee, but yep, the Second Amendment. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, no, I'm with you. I, I'm with everything that you said. I think it's a great idea, and I, that's why it's so important to have these kind of conversations. Yeah. And we can't just keep going the way we are because it's not working. It isn't, and, and we, can, we can get... We can make it safer and not take guns away. Like we don't have to just get rid of them, but right. this unfettered access to just do whatever you please because the Second Amendment gives you that right is making us very not safe. <laughs> like it's bad. And I think majority of people it's shown poll after poll after poll that people agree that this is a problem. And that's why I feel confident speaking about it because, like I said, I come at it right off the bait or out of the gate saying, I'm a gun owner. I don't want to lose my guns. I don't want your guns. Show me the bills where we're taking guns from people and we're taking that right from, you know, responsible people. We're not doing that. It's right. this fear that people have been that, you know, they've been brainwashed into fearing about it, but it's not reality. It's not happening. But what is happening is our children are dying. Our communities are not safe to go to Walmart, to go to the mall, you know, to go to see a movie, buy groceries. That to me is an immediate need that needs action. And my opponent, you know, is all in for the Second Amendment and is just completely ignoring it. And so I'm ready to make some noise and, you know, push back on him because nobody's done it yet. And I would like him to answer for it a little bit, you know, explain to us, his constituents, what his thought process here is and how he plans to help our children if he's not going to do anything to keep the guns out of the hands of the people that shouldn't have them. Couldn't so, agree with you more. And if we and don't about, run, we can't do that. We have to have people running to push the extremism into a corner so that it is forced to be dealt with. And then hopefully that pulls those people more towards the middle because there's opposition. So that's my main thing. If I can get this guy, even if he wins, he probably will because there's never been a blue rep in my district ever. But 
I'm not going to go quiet, and I'm hoping that I can at least pull him more towards the middle and stop this craziness. So that's my overall goal with it. It's about accountability, and you're mm-hmm. holding him accountable, and I think that's great. Um, it's funny when in the state uh, the state legislature, they put more effort into regulating a woman's right to bear her arms on the floor of the House chamber than they do in protecting our children in schools. Exactly. Unbelievable. Um, <laughs> I know, right? That's the second on. big reason why I'm running. <laughs> no, I think it's great. I, I've said it. I, I think it's refreshing to have people that are not afraid to talk about some of these controversial issues. And that's the same thing that I told Jess Piper the very first time I had her on my podcast a few years ago. It takes people that have the courage and the knowledge to go out and address these controversial issues and do so in a way that makes people actually sit back and go, hmm, that's a legitimate point. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things that, you know, we've talked a little. It's Glenn from Labor Front. I'm out. <laughs>